Each month, St. Louis Magazine investigates some of the most compelling people, events, and more in the region. Now, you can hear these award-winning long-form features from the writers who crafted them. This is St. Louis Retold. In this episode, staff writer Jeanette Cooperman reads her piece, Do You Have Kids?, which was included in the August 2017 issue of St. Louis Magazine. In the story, she talks to 13 women about what it's like to live in the family-friendliest city in the country without children. Four women interviewed for the story ask that their names be withheld. They are identified as Kim, Rachel, Sunny, and Liz. We talk freely about our fears and quirks and sexual desires, entanglements and addictions and credit card debt, but it's what we don't talk about that's most revealing. And one of the last taboo topics is a woman's decision not to have children. Not that people don't ask. It's the third icebreaker at parties, right after, what do you do and where'd you go to high school? Do you have kids? You say no, and you can almost see them stop and reorganize their brain, says Terry Robbins, a former VP at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think they want to say, oh, I'm sorry, and they know that's not the right thing. Or maybe it is the right thing, and they want to know why, but they're nervous it could be something that's tearing me apart. So the whole thing... She makes the screech of an old tape rewinding. How about them cardinals? Some folks can't even muster up a new topic. That's when you get what my friend Susan Harbaugh calls the look, a complicated blend of sympathy, embarrassment, and a shocked wince she translates as, oh, you're barren, a word as harsh as the Arctic's frozen desert. It means your womb is empty. You are devoid of maternal instinct, a capacity to nurture that is natural to women and attained only by the kindest of men after valiant effort. You will have no access to the deepest lessons of love, the greatest fulfillment of life. You are what, in The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood called an unwoman. It's hard to know how to respond to the look. There's the noncommittal shrug. Can we move on? The wisecrack. Oh, shit, we forgot. Me? I babble nervously. Well, see, first my husband had testicular cancer, and we froze the sperm, and then we were afraid we didn't have enough money, and then we were too old. Lindsay Toller, a communications director who is younger and freer-spirited than I, tells people how happy she is not to have children. Have you ever heard the song, Pregnant Women Are Smug? She asks me. I feel smug. I have the time and energy to build the life I want. What she hears back, though, is, you'll change your mind. And, if she insists she won't, she gets the dire warning we've all heard. You'll regret it for the rest of your life. Sometimes people even lobby. But you two are so intelligent. You're the sort of people we need to reproduce. Lady Van Cavage is the legislative attorney for Best Friends Animal Society. I launch into some lobbying spiel about animals and trying to save them, she says, and people shut up. Janine Adams, a professional organizer, just shoots back, no, I don't care for kids. That kind of stops the conversation. 
Sherry Levingston Kruger, a senior account exec at KMOV-TV, once went with a friend to a fertility clinic for moral support. She was asked whether she wanted a group deal. To say you don't want children is an extremely intimate thing to tell other people, Toller notes, because it's seen as a condemnation of the entire way you were raised. It's kind of like saying you don't believe in God to someone who is deeply religious, Robin says. You can't argue it, but the stake is in the ground. For years, my husband and I tossed the question of adoption back and forth like a hot potato we both wanted to keep in midair. We had a sneaking suspicion that if we had to think this hard, if we were this daunted by the responsibility, we weren't meant to be parents. That it was a joint decision made it easier, but deep down, I always wondered what was wrong with me. Weren't women supposed to be the ones begging for a baby? My mother pinned a holy medal, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, to the matrimonial mattress. My classmates knew how many kids they wanted when they were still kids themselves. College friends went off to the coasts, but returned to St. Louis, punctual as spawning sea turtles, to start their families. This is, after all, one of the family-friendliest cities in the nation. Chock-full of free fun and stocked with all manner of schools, big, affordable brick houses, and green space in which to romp. St. Louis is anchored by old-fashioned small-town values, yet it offers the kiddos world-class chess, art, biotech, robotics. And here we are, smiling politely as we wade through street festivals holding only our spouse's hand. In 1976, only 10% of women in the U.S. reached their early 40s without having born a child. Today, that figure's closer to 20%. Still, when you subtract women who are physically unable to conceive, can't afford a child, or aren't married and don't want to be single moms, we're a sliver. Do we just overthink it? Are we selfish, spoiled, unwomanly? Hormonally unbalanced, consumed by other interests, influenced by spouses, worried about money, scared of babies, scared of parenting, unnerved by chaos, desperate for freedom, unwilling to juggle, overambitious, rebellious about societal norms. Am I overthinking this, too? Maybe, I decide, it's time to ask the taboo question. Early signs. I start with a few friends, then skid to a halt. Not even I can figure out how to broach this topic with strangers. I try two degrees of separation, then three. Eventually, I have 14 women of various races, careers, backgrounds, and belief systems, all married or as good as, with the resources to raise a child should they choose to. The big common denominator is that not one of us ever felt an abiding, consuming, yearning, desperate ache for a baby. I waited and waited for the desire to have kids to come along, says Adams, and it never did. Kruger says, it was just never, it was just never the right decision, never the right time or place. Rachel says, in high school, Girls would talk about planning their marriage and wanting to have X number of kids, 
That was never my conversation. A woman friend would have a baby, says Robbins, and she'd bring the baby around, and there was no immediate... She gestures, and I know exactly what she means. That giddy eagerness to hold the baby. That cooing rapture I have felt only a handful of all the times I should have. I was thrilled for her, she says, but it just wasn't attractive to me. I thought I'd never have enough energy for it. And I also thought, aren't you supposed to have some deep-seated desire? Kruger's girlfriends sure did. They all would share that they had this compelling desire to have a child, that they wanted that and in some circumstances I think needed that. Later, she'd listen to their chatter about private schools and buses. There's not one interesting element to that for me, she confesses. That conversation comes up in a pile of girls, and I'm like, peace out. So how early, I wonder, does the difference show up? Lisa Melandri, director of the Contemporary Art Museum, says she was, quote, never the baby doll type. I had an incredible doll house that I loved, but it was because we made everything. Harbaugh says her sister had all the dolls. I was the one walking in the woods looking for animals, hoping I was going to get snorted at by a deer. Now she's a CFO for a nonprofit and a master naturalist. Christine Harper, the doctoral candidacy specialist at St. Louis U, remembers dressing up my dolls, but I don't think I played mommy to them. Kim, a business owner, let all her dolls be friends. They were hanging out, saying, what do you want to do? Sunny describes her baby doll as sadly neglected. A friend of hers, also without kids, says, oh, I played with mine. Amputated arms, gave them mohawks. I'm starting to think I'm onto something. Maybe this is a simple matter of temperament. Not everyone's an instinctive motherer, eager to feed and tend the little ones. If the impulse was missing so early in life, then I hesitate. The dolls might only seem significant in retrospect. Surely there are happy mothers out there who yanked the arms off a few dolls themselves. I probe a little further. Seven of us, it turns out, were only children. Two more grew up as only children because their siblings were so much older. Nine of fourteen. Okay, it's a small sample. Still, it's interesting. We were rarely exposed to little kids clueless how to care for them. When I babysat, I made my mom come over, lest I stick a pin in the wrong place and pop the baby. Harper spent her teens in Mexico and Puerto Rico and never babysat at all. Nor did Rachel, nor did Kim, who decided early on that kids were overrated. Van Cabbage babysat once. I came back and told my mother I didn't need the money that badly. She shudders to remember the big family across the street. Eleven kids, and their life was total chaos. Tom, who was a year older than me, came over one day and said, They took my pillow. I don't have a pillow anymore. There were always fights. It was Lord of the Flies. When you're used to peace, quiet, and the unchallenged possession of your own pillow, it's hard to imagine how all those competing desires can coexist. We were acclimated to a civilized adult world. As a girl, Deb Godwin, now Senior Director of Development at UMSL, loved going to business dinners for her dad's company. I was never gung-ho about, I can't wait to have kids, she says. 
it sort of felt like it was more interesting to be a part of the world. Our mothers. For as long as Kim can remember, her mom was taking care of someone. First her father, who was sick, and after his death, other people's kids. She's an amazingly strong, smart person, but part of me feels sad, she says, because she's given so much to other people, and she's never focused on herself. You'd think women wary of motherhood would have had miserable childhoods, but only two mention any conflict. I get shivers at the thought of being a parent in the way I was parented, Liz says, and leaves it at that. Sunny says, I love my mother, but when I was a teenager, we butted heads hard. When I got a little older and knew myself better, I could see the same thing happening all over again with me in mom's position, and I didn't want that. Harper confides that her mother, quote, wasn't into kids at all. It's surprising she even had me. Before marriage, she was a nun. She went into the convent at 14. She must have been devout, I remark. Why leave? I don't even think she was especially religious, Harper says. She just wanted to be someplace safe. Her older sister had died of a botched abortion. Harper looks up, startled. She's never strung all that together before. For as long as Kim can remember, her mom was taking care of someone. First her father, who was sick. After his death, other people's kids. She's an amazingly strong, smart person. But part of me feels sad, she says, because she's given so much to other people and she's never focused on herself. Toller's mother quit work when she had kids. She was the PTA president and she'd organized the Sanco de Mayo luncheons and the Bible studies. But with four children, she leaned hard on her eldest daughter for childcare, and Toller grew up a young soccer mom. Now she's trying to fill in the carefree years she missed. Other women report childhoods so soaked with love and attention, it raised the bar too high. Subconsciously, Rachel thinks she wondered, could I even give a child what my parents were able to give me? Godwin's mother adored children. She would have been a pediatric nurse. But after her older sisters went off to college, the depression hit and there was no more tuition money. Her emphasis to me, Godwin says, was always on work, career. Van Cabbage's mom also really wanted a kid. She didn't work until I was in third grade. She was driving me crazy. Meanwhile, Van Cabbage's Lithuanian grandmother was urging her, You get an education. No one can take that away from you. She really drilled it in, Van Cavage says. Nobody drilled in, have kids. Our partners. When Gary Godwin got the urge to quit his law practice and become an art dealer, he and Deb realized it was time to decide, a conventional life or an alternative one. We came to the conclusion that, yes, it was going to be somewhat different, and we were okay with that, she says. Our life was going to revolve around art and require a lot of travel, and we might not have steady incomes for a while. It wouldn't be fair to a child, but it sounded like heaven to Deb, who'd always been determined not to fall into lockstep, do the, quote, Catholic thing, hang out with all the same people, 
talk about the same topics. Liz aches for a child every once in a while, but says the longings feel 99% hormonal. At other times, she's swept by a wildly grateful relief that they don't have children. And when she thinks about the loss, it's more about her husband, what he'd be like as a dad. Since 1990, Canada's social survey has been asking men and women how many children they plan to have. Consistently, more men than women report wanting kids. Robbins remembers when she and her husband, Arnie Robbins, retired editor of The Post, were both on the fence and it was getting to be time to decide. He probably 60% wanted a baby, and I was like 80 or 90 against it. Arnie said, okay, let's not. I said, okay. A few days later, I said, what am I, chopped liver? You don't want to have kids with me? They laughed, but later she asked Arnie whether he minded that he didn't have someone to carry on his name. Yeah, he said, that feels kind of sad. My worst moment came at 50, when I was packing for a trip to Haiti, and my husband said, bring us back a baby. He'd decided that now he had patience to be a father. Send in the clowns. I wasn't even feeling patient with him. How dare he spring this on me when I was gearing up to cover a cholera epidemic. I peered into the Haitian neonatal ICU and saw a preemie with her intestines barnacled outside her body. Others were malnourished, brain damaged. I didn't have it in me to give them the care they needed, and I knew it. One doesn't speak of men as childless, at least not in the same way. When my husband worried about not having enough patience or making enough money, that was a sign of his maturity, self-awareness, conscientiousness. When I didn't bring home a baby, it felt heartless. Ain't I a woman? There are lots of archetypes for women without children. Greek goddesses who seldom have toddlers clinging to their lean thighs. Wise and good witches, saints and martyrs, writerly Joe and little women. They just don't get mentioned as much. What we're offered instead is the cold, cerebral careerist. On this topic, all 14 of us speak in unison. We have never once felt cold or unwomanly or overambitious. But we've all felt judged as such. Am I selfish? Sometimes I struggle with that a little bit, Harbaugh says. Is the freedom to do what you want selfish? Or is it simply having time to enjoy life, not let it go by at mock speed? I'd say maybe half of all the women in the world are suited to be mothers, Kim Ventures. And if men were the child-bearers, the population would have died off by now. She turns serious. People ask what's wrong with me, meaning physically. It has to be that, they assume. And if not, I must be spoiled. Toller says strangers seem to think she's, quote, a defective woman. And if not, her partner, who's never wanted kids himself, must have coerced her. Liz has often felt dismissed as if I couldn't possibly know or understand because I don't have kids. 
Being in the Midwest might make all this a little worse. If you live in Manhattan, you're going to trip over a woman without kids every few minutes, says Karen Malone Wright. If you live in Cleveland, not so much. Wright founded a national group called the Not Mom. In conservative parts of the country, she says, the assumption is that you're selfish, and that can be defined in many ways. You're denying the planet. You are denying your mother who wanted a grandchild. You will change your mind later, and your bitterness will ruin everyone around you. The most popular page on thenotmom.com is a list of celebrities who've never had kids. Helen Mirren, Betty White, Sarah Silverman, Dolly Parton, Sonia Sotomayor. The list is deeply reassuring. Yet, It'll be a long time before we get a first lady who's never had a child, Wright predicts. People are freaking out because President Trump doesn't have a dog, for God's sake. Children, like dogs, are our emoji. Their presence proves we have a heart. On motherhood. I worried that these interviews would have a bitter tinge, steeped in resentment of the breeders who dominate the zeitgeist. Instead, we all bubbled over with admiration for the mothers around us. I am consistently impressed by what women do, says Melandri, by their capacity to double down and triple down and do it all with great care and thoughtfulness. They're juggling all the time, marvels Kruger. I'd be out of my ever-loving mind. Kim remembers seeing a family out to dinner. Five girls, stair-step. You can't make me believe there's ever any quiet time in that house, she laughs. When I see moms out, and they have one in the stroller and one by the hand, my heart is just like, wow, how does she even go to the grocery store? But for them, it's just like breathing. It's no big deal. Or, it is a big deal, harder than we realize. People joke that cars with 99.1 FM bumper stickers have lousy drivers, Toller says, but I think it's because they all have kids, and they're sleep-deprived, and they had chicken McNuggets for lunch, not because they're Christian and blaring jars of clay. She grew up with evangelical Christianity's family values herself, and she admits to getting a little judgy when she watches women trying to juggle career and children. Things are never going perfectly, and from my lofty seat, where I am well-rested and well-fed, it's easy to see how they're not giving their kids enough attention. Yet she also sees their endless patience with repeated simple tasks, the litany of reminders and routines and admonitions that to her seem super boring. Mothers have to crank their brains up to a hypervigilant state, one she learned as a kid and has been trying to shed ever since. I ask my sources how they define maternal instinct. Does it exist as a separate category? Yeah, and I don't have it, Harbaugh flashes back. It exists, and mine's satisfied by our dogs, Adams says. They don't ever steal your car keys, and so much less can go wrong. Robbins remarks that survival is the strongest instinct we have, and I bet maternal instinct supersedes that. It's wired in, and I think we have to have less of it. 
but Melandre thinks maternal instinct is writ large any time you care about the other person, wishing someone not just to be safe and fed, but also to feel good and to thrive. It's human care for one another. Either you have it or you don't. But it doesn't have to be gendered, and it doesn't have to be tied to motherhood. She tilts her head. Wouldn't it be great if we thought of that instinct as something inherent in all our relationships, and as a blanket way to think about care of our young people, who are our future? The common assumption is that women who don't have kids don't even like kids. They're loud, they're demanding, they get in your way, says Adams. I like some individual children, but as a group, I prefer them older. She waits a beat. Like, in their 20s. Melandry, though, loves childhood's fresh, unfettered perspective. Kids have this pure creativity. They're not yet squelched by the world. Being an auntie is a different kind of relationship, she adds. It's all about joy. And it's a little subversive. And that is really, really fun for them and for you. One after another, women tell me about the kids in their lives. I have found so much pure happiness in getting to know other people's children, Liz says. One of Kruger's young relatives is graduating and has Down syndrome, she says, and one is autistic. They're going to need a hand, and we're happy to step in. It's not hard for me to find a baby to hug, Toller says, and I have a 13-year-old friend, and she needs me so much more than anybody else. My time would be so much better spent talking to her about her life than trying to create another one. Fear and Freedom To have responsibility for somebody 24-7, 365, for 20 years and beyond, was the daunting part, Harbaugh says. My mother spoke tenderly of kids as little sponges, soaking up everything you tell and show them. The thought struck terror. I was too absent-minded, too laissez-faire. I'd screw up, I knew it. And then there was money. There never seemed enough to guarantee our child round-the-clock care and safety and health and a good education. Then there's feeling responsible for the whole damn planet. Van Cavage read The Population Bomb in high school, and she's never shaken off its portent. The more people on Earth, the more strapped we are for resources. Yet the words for failing to procreate are awful. Barren, sterile, infertile, childless. It feels like a complete denial of my existence, says Toller. All women have some relationship with the idea of mothering, but there are a million other identities inside us, and this is the only one that's ever valued. She prefers the term child-free, but that one makes Liz gag. I don't feel any particular way toward any particular term, Kim says. I don't take it as an insult. Childless? Yeah, it's a fact. Whatever you want to call it is fine, agrees Van Cavage. Childless? Child-free? free. You're free from worry, noise, chaos, need, demands on your time. There are more chances for solitude, concentration, creativity. There's time to pay attention to and enjoy your spouse. 
There's the joy of meeting kids on their own terms, not as a fretting parent or a giddy grandparent, but as a fellow human whose ego is not imperiled by their behavior. Not having a child can also be a ticket to the next socioeconomic class. One study of U.S. women without children found that 75% of the participants had poor or working-class backgrounds, and many linked their upward mobility to the choice not to have kids. Sunny savors her freedom from the financial stresses of raising children, but she's even more relieved not to be worrying about how they'll turn out. Am I capable of caring lovingly for a severely handicapped child over the long haul? A mentally ill child? A criminal child? A bully? A snotty, too-smart-for-her-own-good child? And parenting is a crapshoot. You can do everything right and still raise a serial killer. Plus, she adds, if she'd had kids, there would almost certainly be no horses, which are the only thing I've ever wanted with utter certainty since childhood. This freedom to pursue a passion comes up again and again. Somebody wrote in Van Cavage's high school yearbook, Leedy will have cubs, not kids. Since then, she's gotten more than 20 humane bills passed and saved countless animals from suffering. That, she says, feels like my calling. What you miss. I always thought one really good reason to have kids, Melandre teases, was that you can dress them up in your favorite sports team's regalia so they can become the billboard for your passions. There's a serious version of that. Kids give you a chance to instill your beliefs and values, your hard-won wisdom. Sometimes they even live the life you wanted and missed. And if they're your biological children, There are flashes of recognition, seeing yourself or your partner or your parent in your child's face, the constant miracle of knowing that you helped make them. Without children, other relationships deepen instead. Family can be created in many ways. But along with missing the late-night feedings and scary dreams and bouts of flu and broken limbs, you miss a lot of shared tenderness and fun. There's a thinness to our life as an adult couple, it seems to me. We are entwined and sufficient, but there's no texture, no amplification. My mom and I were very, very close, Kruger says. The last few years of her life, I spent a lot of time with her. With that came an intimate knowledge of everything in her house, where it came from. She pauses. Nobody will know me like that. Nobody will take care of me that way. We all feel this absence in varying degrees, yet not one of us regrets the choice. It is both a loss and a luxury. And in today's world, with women still doing most of the childcare and working full-time, it's an acknowledgement that having it all is a myth, and everything is a trade-off. Still, I feel those little bursts of gratification whenever a child snuggles up as though I have definitively proven myself lovable by winning the trust of some fey, feral creature and not just a small human who wants a cookie. I envy people whose lives are mud-spattered and rowdy, full of laughter and fresh discoveries. Sure, there's a lot of noise and drama in a house full of kids, but there's also a lot of illogical, 
irrepressible hope. People attached to children have a constant, worthwhile focus. They can relive life's milestones without the ego, seeing them wisely and generously, not in stupid panic. Alain de Botton writes, We will, in our role as parents, be terrified, exhausted, resentful, enchanted, but forever spared the slightest doubt as to our significance or role on the earth. Before I can sigh, Harper slices through that quote with bracing cynicism. The idea that all someone has to do is breed to have a meaningful life, that to me is sad, she says, and annoying. Still, when you watch parents bond over funny or catastrophic kid stories, you can't chime in, says Rachel, and I may never fully understand what it's like when people say, I never knew I could love someone that much. We're quiet for a minute. For me, this is the clincher, the only real reason to second-guess. Early in my 20s, after learning of some minor female plumbing issue that could interfere with a future pregnancy, I emerged, shaken, from the gynecologist's office. Mommy, a toddler cried, running over to throw her arms around my legs. She was so eager to be reunited, she'd chosen the wrong woman. I burst into tears and rushed out. But once that sting faded, even my hysterical, I will never bear a child, didn't feel like the end of the world. Toller was once told that having a child could make a serious medical condition worse. When I found out it was a misdiagnosis, she says, it wasn't like a barrier lifted. Maybe those are the most reliable signs, the lack of yearning, the absence of elation at the opportunity. I've thought about this all my life, Robin says. I don't know if it's because I wasn't around them when I was little, if it's biological and some part of my brain didn't develop, if it's that I had other priorities, but that sounds like an ugly answer. When she and Arnie were finalizing their decision, she quizzed a therapist to make sure she was doing the right thing. Have a baby, the therapist surprised her by saying, which, it turned out, was the best possible way to crystallize her decision not to. I asked what she'd tell a woman who was wondering if she was making the right decision. I'd say, why do you ask the question? Will take care of us. Even middle and upper class people still have kids because it's expected, Van Cavage remarks, or to keep the line going. Lineage, continuity, I never missed that, Godwin says cheerfully. Melandri's only regret is the relationship her children could have had with her parents. They have a huge capacity for love and care, and they are both so good with kids. If we'd had children, oh my God, I think they would have really loved it. Life rearranges itself when a line, which in high school geometry sounded infinite, comes to an end. I assume that as I get older, my relationship with my things will change, Melandri says, because there isn't the idea of passing something along. What is a family heirloom if the next generation isn't there? It probably keeps us very honest about not getting too attached to stuff and thinking of it as more important than it really is. Sonny finds it sobering, 
this realization that in a hundred years, no one will remember me or care who I was. Rachel felt a little desolate when her financial planner urged long-term care insurance because she won't have anyone to come look after her. Historically, older adults without kids were more likely to wind up in a nursing home. That's changing, though, and when researchers compared people over 75 with and without children, they found no difference in their sense of well-being. Gary and I laugh about, oops, there's nobody to take care of us when we get older, says Godwin, but she doesn't sound worried. Neither do the Robinses, who joke about tasks they will not perform for each other in old age. When I was younger, people used to say, but who's going to take care of you when you're older, Terry recalls. Like their kids will be in town? Harbaugh thinks having someone to take care of you is the most ridiculous reason she's ever heard of for having children. I'll figure it out, she says. Adams guesses that her husband, who's nine years older, will die first. So I'll be old and alone. But I have lots of friends. Late-life friendship is a recurring topic among women without children, Melandre's noticed. It's a different structure for aging, she says, a version of the home where everyone you know in it, you have curated into it. Family Planning As I'm finishing this story, A friend about 15 years older asks what I'm working on. I tell her, and an odd expression crosses her face, first startled, then wry. She says, I never knew that was an option. It's not sarcasm, either. In the sweep of history, why didn't you have kids is a fairly new question. For my mother's generation, childbearing was a risky business, notes Godwin. Motherhood was hard but they didn't question doing it. A, it was necessary, and B, there weren't ways to avoid it. Besides, motherhood was often a woman's best and fastest route to creativity, power, meaning. Today, there are so many options we need sat-nav. I definitely got the message, Liz says. At school, at home, in advertising, in books, with Olympic Barbie, that birth control and abortion were available. You can do all these things now, so don't have a baby, don't have a baby, don't have a baby. I know more than a few women my age who reached 40 and were like, wait, when was I supposed to not not have a baby? I remember blurting, if only somebody would just leave one on our doorstep. We knew we'd probably manage just fine. Yet, we didn't feel compelled to go get one. And even after all these interviews, I'm no closer to answering the taboo question of why not. Temperament, birth order, parents, partners, hormones, money, lousy timing, existential dread. There are as many reasons not to have children as there are to have them. And the answer is different for each of us. The worst thing we can ever do to each other, says Melandri, is make any kind of assumption about what any life decision means. Family and love are pretty limitless in how you can define them.
This is Steph Zimmerman, the Digital Media Manager at St. Louis Magazine, and I'm here with writer Jeanette Cooperman in our Brentwood office to ask her a couple questions about her piece, Do You Have Kids? Jeanette, what was, how did you kind of come to, to write this story? I mean, clearly you state your intentions about, you know, why this interested you, but what kind of made you finally put this down on paper? A friend knew that I had written years ago, back when I was single. So, I mean, we're talking 27 years ago, a story about being single in St. Louis. I had worked for an earlier incarnation of St. Louis Magazine, and it became like the top newsstand seller for years because there were so many women in St. Louis who thought it was a horrible city to be single in. So being single in St. Louis, from a single woman's perspective, everybody bought it. And she said, you know what? You should write about not having kids in St. Louis, because that's just as hard. And it took me a few months. I think it was kind of a sensitive subject. And then I thought, yeah, no, she's right. And what were you kind of expecting, um, or maybe even hoping, to get from the interviews with each of these 13 women? You know, I think I wanted catharsis. I think I wanted every one of us to have the same experience, the same opinions, the same backstory, so that it would feel very validating and we could all go, yeah, yeah, me too. And instead, they were all so different. And at first, I was almost disappointed. It's, you know, you shouldn't be this personally involved in the story, but I was personally involved in the story. And so I thought, oh, well, no, I don't feel like that. And no, well, I wouldn't have said that. And then it began to sink in that that was the point, that there were so many different reasons not to have kids, so many different ways to be female, so many different ways to have a meaningful life. And then I was happy about it. So in the story, you, you mentioned that it was pretty difficult to find the women to actually interview just because it is a pretty taboo subject. So how did you actually end up finding them. Yeah, I was surprised at how difficult it was. Uh, You know, I'm used to going out and just, you know, researching and finding subjects for a story. And it dawned on me that this was a really sensitive subject, even though I don't have kids, women I didn't know, I didn't know quite how to bring it up. I didn't know how to ask them because I didn't know why they didn't have children, whether it was deliberate. And I ran into the wall. And so I started with friends. And then I started doing like second degree of separation, third degree of separation. Friends would find me friends. And, you know, it got more remote as I went on. But, you know, where there were like five degrees of separation. But then I I just sort of narrowed it down to 14 of us who really all could have had kids, had the resources, had husbands or life partners, and still just very clearly chose not to. And then that was the common denominator. And even when you did find the women, some of them chose to use alias names, yeah. you know, even beyond yeah. that. Which surprised me. And then I decided that was kind of a symptom of not having kids in St. Louis. Uh, they were really keenly aware, those four, that this would be something that might make people think differently of them that might get some criticism, that might not be, I don't know, applauded. And, you know, they faced it enough already in their lives. And so they wanted uh, not to use their name, which you would think this wouldn't be something that would make people that private. But yeah, it did. And so I respected that. And you you mentioned your husband a couple of times throughout the story. What was his reaction to you um, 
including him and including your discussions about about this topic. Yeah, my long-suffering husband. Uh, well, I had included, I of course had asked his permission to mention that he had had testicular cancer because it was an early part of us thinking about having kids when we were first married. And he said, sure. I mean, he's used to me. And so he was very gracious about it. And then when I was working on the story, he actually said, did you put in the part about Haiti? Because that's when he had urged me to bring home a baby, you know, like had this 180. And I was 50 years old. And at that point, beyond thinking that was even possible. And so I said, oh, yeah, I put it in. So he he was fine about it. And we laughed about it again. And I'm still furious with him that at that point in our lives, he was like, oh, honey, now feel guilty because you're not going to bring home a baby from Haiti. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This episode of St. Louis Retold has been brought to you by St. Louis Magazine. If you want to read Jeanette's piece, you can find it online at stlmag.com. And if you don't care to stare at a screen, I encourage you to subscribe to St. Louis Magazine. Let us know what you think about the story by commenting on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. We also accept snail mail. And if you would like to sponsor this podcast and hear your name sprinkled amongst our voices, give us a call at 314-918-3002. Till next time, St. Louis. <laughs>